This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. Well, I am so grateful, so thankful to be with you this morning. We've been working through our hashtag Bigger Than Me series here at Mill City Church, and we've been taking several weeks to look at topics like church, mission, marriage, relationships, and culture, even Christian culture often says that these things, marriage, relationships, mission in the church, exist to make us happy or to help us level up and be the best version of ourselves. With this sermon series, what we're trying to do is expand our view of these different facets of life to gain a kingdom-centered perspective. I think it's been a great series so far, and I hope that you've enjoyed the challenge. So today... We're going to turn the page and we're going to talk about uh, our homes. We're turning the conversation inward a little bit um, and to something that's a bit of our comfort zones. And we'll spend most of our time in Ephesians 2. And so you can go ahead and turn there. Our topic today, home is bigger than me. Now, for the literal person in the room, we're not talking about the physical size and dimensions of your house Of course my home is bigger than me. Is this a house for ants? No, Derek Zoolander. We're talking about our homes and the purpose for which God has given us these spaces for living. In order to see this purpose for our homes, we'll spend our time talking about hospitality, which you can view as the way you use your home. You may be tempted to think, I live in an apartment, and I don't even like it there. Or, our house is just a starter home. It's not meant for hosting. But let's explore this idea of hospitality together. And in doing so, learn about how home is bigger than me. So what comes to mind when you think of hospitality? Merriam-Webster defines the word hospitable as given to generous and cordial reception of guests. But let's take a moment and just think about your experience with his, uh, and your history with the idea of having people in your home. What makes it absolutely ideal for your guests? Is it having a good, clean place? Do you picture Chip and Joanna Gaines standing there or an open concept floor plan? Is hospitality putting on the best party, having the best meals? Is it having the perfect guest list to create optimal synergy and conversation around the dinner table? Is it having the right entertainment system to get down to the pixel clarity on that last Pat's offensive play? Is it creating the perfect environment for your guests to be entertained while you're in and out of the kitchen in apron and oven mitts? Is it having cooking timers done and all the preparation completed so that when your guests walk through the door, the party can begin? Okay, I want you to know that I don't believe that all of those things are bad. I love Fixer Upper. And while I'm not the most avid of sports fans, I can certainly appreciate high frame rate 4K HDR video, just like the next guy. And conversational icebreakers, I mean, they can feel a little forced at times, but who doesn't like learning everyone's childhood aspirations for employment? But surely these aren't the things, these aren't the ingredients for cordial reception of guests. And is that even the best metric to be shooting for? As Christians, there has to be more to opening up our homes than that. 
And so this morning we're going to spend our time, as with the rest of this series, we're going to expand our view of this. We're going to expand Mill City Church's view of hospitality and opening up our homes. It's not just for extroverts. It's not only for those with single-family homes. Hospitality and the opening up of our homes is for all followers of Christ. And by the end of today, I hope that your view encompasses a bigger-than-me, kingdom-oriented, God-glorifying purpose for your home. Let's go to the scripture. So Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Here is a passage of scripture that brings good news to Gentiles. The gospel of Jesus Christ that was first preached to the Jews is now extended to everyone else on earth. The doors to the family and household of God are now open to all who believe in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are lavish in your grace. You provide all that we have and all that we need. Thank you for Jesus Christ who welcomes us into your family and gives us access to your throne. Open our ears this morning. Speak truth into our souls, and Spirit, stir our affections and help us respond in faith. Use me to your glory. Amen. To get things started, I'd like to craft a biblical definition for kingdom-centered hospitality. This is the first thing you'll see in your notes. We're going to quickly define it, and then over the course of the message, we'll take some time to flesh it out. But when we talk about kingdom-centered hospitality, or biblical hospitality, Here's what we mean. It is a welcoming love that embodies gospel intentionality by bringing others to the feet of Jesus. That is our aim. That is our goal. That's the reason that we demonstrate hospitality, and that's the lens through which I want us to view the place where we live. So there's our definition, and as I said, we'll flesh that out as we go on, but um, I want us to have a shared idea of what I'm talking about here as we go forward. And, and um, I want to point us to three reasons that we want to live this way um, every day, and uh, especially with respect to our houses, with our homes. So here are three truths to empower believers to live with kingdom-centered hospitality. Here's the first one. Kingdom-centered hospitality is modeled through Jesus Christ. 
If you're a believer in here today, you've been shown hospitality beyond compare. You've been welcomed by the king of all kings into the family of God. Look at verse 13. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What is the gospel message in its simplest form? It's that we who were sinners and distant from God in death were brought into right relationship with him through the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ. He died in our place. Paul is saying to these non-Jewish people in Ephesus that the very Jesus who died to restore the Jews back to relationship with God is the same Jesus who through that same death offers that same hope to the rest of humanity. We, you and me, were once held captive by our sinful nature. We were once desperately distanced from God. And being far off, as it says, it's an incredible understatement because the gap created by our sin is infinitely large. And that's true for all of humanity. Let's get back to verses 3 and 4 in chapter 2. What's the state of the sinner's heart before a perfect and righteous God? It says that our sin makes us children of wrath and dead in our trespasses or dead in our sin. So what hope do we even have? How does a man bring himself back to life? He can't. It has to be someone else. And that's where the second half of verse 13 is so beautiful. It says, we were brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus Christ is the only one who can take sinful, sinful humans who are dead in their sin and make them alive. He is our hope. Jew or Gentile, near or far, God has offered us peace by the blood of, his, of the cross of Jesus Christ. Think about that. Peace. Verse 14, it says, He himself is our peace. The idea of peace seems pretty intangible in 2019. Doesn't it? Stress and anxiety are on the rise. Depression. We have broken families, feuds that just never seem to go away. Turn to politics, and it seems like everyone's angry at each other. Politicians on the same side of the aisle can barely get along. We have riots and protesters, and we see innocent lives lost in mass shootings and other tragic events. And at the heart of it all, our sin makes us undesirable children of wrath. But peace is offered. Why? How could we deserve this? We don't. And that's the beauty of the gospel. If you believe in the gospel today, you've re received the ultimate level of hospitality. God himself came down in the form of man to die the death we deserve because of sin. And what is the result? Life. Unity. Reconciliation with God. The dividing wall of hostility has been broken. Through Jesus, we have access to the Father in one spirit. And that sounds an awful lot like being welcomed in with open arms. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says this of those who were once far off due to sin's great chasm. He says uh, in verse 11 of chapter 6, he says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God washed, cleansed. 
We don't have this dirty stain of sin anymore. Church family, that's the good news. Have you ever seen those before and after pictures of dogs who were rescued or adopted? Take a look at some of these photos as I, I paint a picture. So imagine that you're on your way home today after church and you see a scared, malnourished, matted, scruffy dog. You decide to bring that, home, that dog into your home and care for him. What's the first thing you'd do upon bringing that dog into your home? You'd wash him. You'd put some warm water in the tub, and you'd clean him up, and you'd wash him of his former life. You'd begin to feed him, and in a month's time, he would look totally transformed. The dog has a new life, and it started by being welcomed in, being made part of the family. Friends, that's what Jesus has done for you and me. He saw our helpless state. He saw we had no hope without God in this world. The blood of Jesus has the power to wash each of us from our sin, the cross of Christ has the power to tear down the walls of hostility. We just have to believe. And look at this. It gets even better. We're not just any old guest. We're not just clean guests. The gospel of Jesus Christ makes us family with God. Verse 19 says, we're members of the household of God, including all the benefits that come with that. Galatians 4.7 says, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. How about that for being welcomed in? We've been transformed from slaves to sons and heirs of the kingdom. That is truly radical, kingdom-centered hospitality. What a model we have in Jesus. I hope this reality stirs you to open up your home with a, renew sen a renewed sense of the same welcoming love that Jesus himself offers. And if you've never placed faith in this great Savior named Jesus Christ, I'd encourage you to respond today. Respond to the gospel message and be welcomed into the family of God. So that's our first point. We have a model in Jesus Christ. The second truth to empower the practice of kingdom-centered hospitality is this. It welcomes everyone in as family. It's a logical progression here. This is, and this is where we get practical. For the sake of our discussion, we're going to distinguish between the welcoming of believers and the welcoming of unbelievers. And so we're going to start with the unbeliever. There's a lot of great language here in Ephesians 2 that ought to open our eyes. Remember Paul's target audience here. These are non-Jews. But what is Paul doing? He's widening the church's perspective of the gospel's target audience. Let's go through this passage and pick some things out. Verse 12. You were separated from Christ, alienated. That's a great word today. Strangers to the covenant, no hope without God. Verse 13, far off, we've seen this. Verse 14, the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 16, hostility, there it is again. Verse 19, strangers and aliens. He's not describing Hawkins, Indiana. That was, the gospel. That was us before the gospel. And these are the people that surround us at work, in our classes, in our families, in our neighborhoods, at our gyms and grocery stores. Strangers and aliens before the throne. That is why we have spheres of influence to meet all these people called humans, get to know them, and welcome them in just as Jesus did for us. It's as simple as that, right? No, this is, this is actually pretty tough. There's some serious barriers that we have to push through 
But the gospel extends beyond cultural barriers. It extends beyond social barriers, beyond interest barriers, and it crosses age demographics. In case you forgot, most of the world is not like you. They don't look like us. So what does it look like to welcome the stranger and the neighbor in as family? Well, first we remember the gospel. We talked about that above. We ought to be so familiar with that truth that it both compels us to action and is overflowing in our interaction. Don't forget to pray in this. Pray for the lost people, of your, lost people in your lives. We did that this morning, and I want you to encourage you to do that every day. Pray for them by name. Ask God to cross your path with theirs. Second comes the welcoming part. And you may feel ill-equipped here, but don't be discouraged. Think about the people in your life. Who are the lost around you? Tomorrow, who's the first person that you'll speak to after you leave home? Engage with them knowing you're empowered by the love of Christ. Strangers will become neighbors. Relationships will develop. Sean talked about this in last week's sermon, and I would encourage you to go listen to it online if you didn't hear it. But how can kingdom-centered hospitality take our relationships to an even deeper, more familial level? That's where our homes come into play. That's how homes are bigger than us. Our homes are the laboratories in which we experiment with and cultivate kingdom-centered hospitality. Jesus Christ has welcomed us into the family, into the household of God, and in turn, he has transformed our homes into extensions of his kingdom. We welcome others in as family in the name of Jesus. And in the church, we've been given shepherds and teachers to equip us to do the work of the ministry. Paul says so just a page or two away in chapter 4. Believer, have you considered your home as a ministry center? Have you surrendered what happens in those walls to the purpose of the Great Commission? I want to caution you from checking out here because I think this next part has the it has the potential to really change the way we engage with the lost. In our homes, we have the disarming setting of vulnerability. It's there. We have the grounds to say, here's my life, and you're welcome into it. I want to be clear here. I'm advocating that we expose people to the messy parts of our lives, not just the tidy, Febreze-scented, social media-ready, stain-free parts how else will the world know that we see them as family? I mean, social media gets a bad rap these days. We look at endless images of friends and acquaintances. Post after post, we keep scrolling and we say, their lives can't really be like that. Surely they're not always smiling and happy, argument-free people. But isn't that what we do so often in our homes? Aren't we tempted to keep the door bolted and the company away until we've had the chance to trick our guests into thinking that our lives actually aren't all that hectic? I grew up in a very loving family. I'm so thankful for that. My parents were both strong followers of Christ. I learned so much from both mom and dad about what it means to mature in my faith. But so much of my time spent in my house, however, it was limited to my parents, my brother, and me. My mom was a great woman, and she loved people like few others. But she was terrified of having people in her home to see how my brother and I had torn up the place, or 
to see how she was too exhausted to do the dishes. Anytime I wanted to have people over, I always had to have at least a day's notice for my mom. Uh, in that amount of time, we'd clear the crime scene of any evidence of craziness, whether it was removing the clutter of toys or tucking bills and papers into the drawers. We made sure the place was decent. That way, when company came, they saw a beautifully masked family with no real difficulties to speak of. Does your home ever get that way? That doesn't tell the world that our hope is in Jesus Christ. It says, my hope is in the fact that I've got it all together. That doesn't tell our neighbor that we lose our patience with our family members, but that we've also learned to ask forgiveness. That doesn't tell the stranger that they are welcomed in to be part of the household of God. Here's some encouragement for you. Don't, let people, or don't be afraid to let people see that you're human. In those moments, you can share the hope you have. In those moments, you can tell your neighbor, life gets so hard, and I struggle with pride or anger or laziness. But sometimes you just have to, you have to say, let me show you how the follower of Jesus Christ responds in those moments. Let me teach you how being an heir with Christ gives me hope for tomorrow. At that point, you're truly living kingdom-centered hospitality. You've begun with Christ to bring near those who were once far off, and you're showing the unbeliever how the hospitality you've received is now extended to them. We sang this in Mighty to Save. Do you believe that? Do you believe Jesus is mighty to save? I pray the Spirit would grow each of our faiths to the point where we can engage with the unbeliever in this way, and that we would be confident in Jesus' power to save. So that's, that's kind of a picture, just a quick glimpse of what it's like to bring in the unbeliever. And here's, here's what, we, what I would say about believers. There is great blessing that comes from the family of God. In so many ways, I want to encourage you, Mill City Church, it's a joy to see how many of you so frequently have one another in your homes, baking, working on vehicles, babysitting, repairing and offering up your possessions. Here's some exhortations to press on. We who are in Jesus Christ are actually family. More than that, he is joining each of us together in a, into a holy temple. Verse 22 of Ephesians uh, in, our, in our passage says that we as believers are being built up together into a dwelling place for, the, for God by the Spirit. We, we, the people of God, are the meeting place for worship. As we gather together in fellowship, we experience a foretaste of eternity with God in heaven. 1 Peter 4, verses 8 through 9 say this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to let you down. I'm very likely going to do something, if I haven't already, that would cause you to grumble at the thought of having me in your home. But here's something shocking. That's true for all of us. That's why we need to be reminded that love covers a multitude of sins. It takes intentional effort to show hospitality without grumbling. Isn't it funny how the people who have the greatest ability to get under our skin are those who are closest to us? Resist that temptation. This passage is written to believers about loving other believers. 2,000 years ago, in the early church, they got on each other's nerves and they wronged one another. But these fellow believers are the ones who will bear our burdens with us. 
They're the ones who will help us walk in the light. They're the ones who will love us enough to tell us that we're wrong. Jesus said this of, of the watching world in uh, John 13, 35. By this, they will know that you are my disciples, your love for one another. But your brothers and sisters in Christ will only know as much about your heart as you let them. Men, welcome in your brothers in, in, in Christ into your homes. Let them carry your burdens. Women, let your sisters see your struggles. Love them enough to confide in them. Christians, let the restorative power of the gospel push you to joyfully engage with one another. We're not enemies. We're not frenemies. We're not strangers and aliens. We're family. As a quick note of concession, I just want to say relationships are tough and they don't always look the way we want them to look, but that's not a bad thing. There's several of you whom I would really honestly love to know and relate to in ways that others know and relate to you. But let's not allow jealousy or envy rob us of the relationships that God has already given us. Steward your relationships well. Trust that God has welcomed you. If you're struggling, hear this. I think one of the biggest things that I've learned in this study is that the, this kingdom-centered hospitality counteracts loneliness. It's an antidote to loneliness in so many ways, whether you're on the giving end or the receiving end. So we're making our way through this morning, and we're almost done. First, we learned that Jesus is the perfect model for true hospitality. Second, we learned that as members of the household of God, we're empowered to extend that welcoming love to everyone in our lives. And third, I want you to see the reason this is so important. We won't spend a lot of time here because I, I believe the seeds of this reality have been sown into the rest of this message, but here it is. Here's the reason that you can say home is bigger than me. It's that kingdom-oriented, kingdom-centered hospitality glorifies God. It's at the very heart of God. The Bible is replete with examples and descriptions of loving, selfless, welcoming hospitality. And we're not going to look at all of them. But let's just take a brief moment to trace a theme through Scripture. If you look in Genesis 18, we see Abraham. He's caring for the three men at his home as God is is telling him of his promises. And by welcoming in these men, God, Abraham is welcoming God. You've heard of Job. Job was commended as blameless, and he was known as a man who, it says, he opened his home to the traveler. Isaiah 58, 7 says, God blesses the sacrifices that feed the hungry and bring the homeless poor into homes. Here's a big one. Leviticus 19, 33 to 34 it says, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. What a mic drop. Do this thing because you received it from me, your God. Who's getting the glory here? It's not the Israelites. And it's certainly not the Egyptians. It's not even the ones who are being received into homes. It's the Lord. In extending hospitality, God's people are demonstrating the heart of the one who saved them from slavery. 
God is shown to be magnificent. He is glorified. Turn to the New Testament and we see Jesus use very similar languages in Leviticus. He says, you shall love your neighbor as your, yourself. In fact, he places that command just second after loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God be praised that hospitality didn't stay in the Old Testament. Praise God that we have verses like Ephesians 3, verse 6, the Gentiles are fellow heirs. That's us. We who are in Christ Jesus are all members of the same body and partakers of the same promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. When children of wrath are given familial status with the creator of the universe, the only logical response is praise and worship. As we steer the use of our homes toward placing guests at the feet of Jesus, we'll begin to see the God-glorifying outcome. Here's the last thing that I'll leave you with. The progression of hospitality brings the sinner before the cross, sees the spirit awaken a once dead heart, and unites the new believer into an eternal, cross-cultural, cross-generational community of faith. That's in Ephesians 2.19, we see that. Church family, take on God's heart for outsiders. Welcome in outcasts. Love the disenfranchised. Love your fellow believers and show the world what it means to be of the household of God. See your home as a ministry center. You can do this. The value of your home is not in its size or amenities. It's not in your kitchen savvy, and it's not about the latest gadgets. The value in your homes, in our homes, is in their capacity for welcoming the world, welcoming them in as family and bringing them to the feet of Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, once again, we praise you for your lavish grace. Thank you for welcoming us into your home. Thank you for Jesus Christ who brings us into fellowship with you by the Spirit. I pray that we would treasure the truth and the power of the gospel. I pray that we would sacrifice the comfort of our homes for the purpose of expanding your kingdom. Give us urgency to love strangers and neighbors in Jesus' name. And give us patience and forbearance to love our brothers and sisters in Christ so that the world may know you. Help us respond in faith. Amen. All right, it's time for Mill City After Hours this week with Robbie. All right. First of all, incredible job this morning. I was so challenged and encouraged at the same time sitting there listening this morning. You, you taught me today and you taught me well. So um, I want to go ahead and just anticipate um, what someone may be thinking out there. So uh, you place such a heavy emphasis this morning on not having everything all prettied up and cleaned up at home. There's going to be someone out there that's already thinking, well, does that just mean I never need to worry about my home and this is welcome news for the 21 year old guy's apartment by the way oh yeah um they're like oh yeah i can practice hospitality right so how do you walk that balance between uh, being a good host while at the same time not allowing that to become 
God. Well, first off, as a 21-year-old guy, when, when I had just gotten, actually, when I moved here, uh, <clears throat> I was, um, for me, hospitality was like making sure that people, welcoming people in was like, look at my Marvel posters, all right? Look at these superheroes. I, I have it together. Um, but I, uh, I quickly realized that that wasn't enough. Um, I would say uh, the idea of being family really, uh, really helps me um, frame this as I welcome people in and, and am nervous or scared to, to bring people into my mess. I think about the people that I call family, uh, and they are the ones that they see the mess, right? You know, like when you wake up and you're with your family, you're not worried about doing your hair. Uh, it's not like, oh, before my parents see me, I need to make sure I go to the bathroom and take a shower. Uh, maybe some of you, I don't know. But uh, I would say that as we, as we picture those around us as family, then we're able to let our guard down a little bit and say, look, you're gonna, I'm going to welcome you regardless, and you can welcome me with my mess, and that's, that's okay. We can, we can have a good time together, and we can love each other um, with all of this out on the table. Uh, the other thing that I would say is um, at the, uh, kind of a way that I, I practice this at home is sometimes when I'm having people over, just uh, a, a few weeks ago, I remember having somebody over, and I kind of intentionally, I was like, oh, they're about to be here in, in like, I don't know, 20 minutes or something. Let me make sure that I'm all set. But I was like, actually, no, I'm going to wait a little bit. I'm going to still be in the kitchen when they get there. And I know that we were going to have a game night with some, some neighbors, and uh, so he came in, the, the, the door rang, and I, I opened the door, and I was like, hey, I'm just finishing up some stuff in the kitchen, make yourself at home. And he was like, hey, can I, we're doing games, right? Can, can I, what, what do you have? And so I was like, here's the closet. Uh, enjoy, like, see what, see what you want to do tonight. And uh, so he just made his, made his way in and made himself at home, and he picked out a game or two. And uh, you just got to go with it. Yeah, I think that there, I think about some folks here. I mean, I, I think about um, several different families, actually. And the first time I went over to their house, I mean, everything was just put in place. It, it was, you know, everything's clean, everything's straight. The kids are so well-behaved, right? And then I remember, like, with each subsequent time of, of going over, just how a lot of those defenses just kind of start dropping. Um, and now some of those people, I walk in, the kids are screaming, the kitchen's a mess, and like it's no big deal anymore, right? And I think that's the, the picture that you're painting. Like oftentimes we, we do want to make a good first impression, and we do want to serve people. And that's actually a good, glorifying, God-glorifying thing to do. And I think we should aim to do those things. But what happens is when, when we get to know each other better, and we start forging those familiar relationships, that, that those pretensions just kind of start dropping and we do want to welcome people in. And if, you, if you're a married couple with small children, young, especially young adults, as you invite young adults into your home, they need to see the chaos, right? They, they need to see that part of your life because you're presenting them to them what reality actually looks like. And we're not giving a plastic vision of what marriage and family um, is. And so I, I thought that was really helpful. The other thing I wanted you to do, Robbie, because you are so good at this and you're better at this than I am, is that you are so good about inviting people into your apartment, but you're also very good about putting intentional guest lists together. All right, so you don't just casually just invite every single person you come in contact with. You're very intentional about whom you're inviting, 
um, different categories of people you're inviting. So talk about that a little bit. So for me, uh, having people in my home is, is often, the way I think about it is just networking. Um, I'm, I'm putting together, we talked about having a laboratory uh, this morning, so like I'm putting together this little experiment of people. And, um, and I think one of the biggest reasons that I do that is I, you may not know this about me, I am super introverted. And uh, I wouldn't say shy, but I, I would say that I'm introverted and I need my like alone time. Um, after this, I'll probably spend a few hours just like sitting on the couch staring into nothing. But um, That's my every Sunday afternoon. <laughs> I get you. Um, but no, like, so one of the reasons that I do this and view it this way is because I recognize where I am weak. And so I need people that are a little bit more extroverted to help me get conversations going. Um, and so I'll invite people strategically saying, all right, so this is somebody that's well-connected. This is somebody that we have the same vision for having people over. We have the same gospel intentionality. All right, so I'll, I'll find one or two of those people and rec- realize, okay, now I'm not the one that's expected to completely drive this train all evening long and exhaust myself. Um, I have some people to rely on. And then I'm going to try, and if, if they've got people that they want to invite, then I'll do that, but also people that I'm trying to invest in, people that I'm discipling, people that uh, are kind of maybe on the fringes of our friend groups, so that what, I'm, what I want to see happen is that uh, those, of us, uh, those of us who are well-connected are able to bring in those fringe people so that they can become connected themselves. Um, and then uh, through all of that, uh, hopefully, uh, through feeling welcomed and knowing that they are welcomed, um, then we're able to use those opportunities to share the gospel and, um, and break down some of those dividing walls. Um, I don't know if that... No, it's very helpful. I think another thing that you brought up, I really loved your language. You, you used the term that when peop, what we want to see, the arc, the, the arc of our hospitality is we want to see people obviously change for Christ and bringing them into a cross-cultural and cross-generational community. And th- this is something that is so important for us here at Mill City, and it's one of the parts of our ministry that sometimes is the most difficult for people to grasp and, 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 to, and to own. And I want to talk about this a little bit today, Robbie, because um, you do this well. You model it. I'm, I, I try to model it in, in my life. But let me, let me kind of set this up a little bit, is that we are so programmed as a culture that we stick with our own. Whatever our own is, it could be white people, it could be Latinos, it could be African Americans, whatever, uh, the Asian community. Then you go generationally. You come into a church, and so everyone with gray hair associates together. Everyone who is married associates together. All the singles associate together. All the students associate together. And we've actually built our churches in America this way for the last hundred years or so. And, and it's crippled us in ministry in so many ways. We don't understand why when 18-year-olds graduate high school, they're bolting from the church. It's because they don't have any other relationships with anyone except the people that they went to school with, right? And so one of our passions here is that we are intersecting the lives of, of people generational, intergenerationally. So this is why we want 25-year-olds sitting at the table with 35-year-olds and 55-year-olds and 60-year-olds. 
And we also want people to intersect lives um, culturally, uh, cross-culturally. Um, and you see our church is so diverse, right? And so I want to talk about this a little bit because I w I'm going to let you share something and I'm going to come back behind you, okay? There are relationships in this church that are some of your most meaningful relationships. And you're 29 years old, um, but over the last five years. And, and they are people who are old enough to be your dad. Some of them are 15 years older than you, 20 years older than you. Why is this so important for you? Because you demonstrate this. So what do you get out of this? And what do you see in some of those whom you've spent time with who are significantly older than you? First, I would say uh, I'm, when I moved here, I moved away from my, uh, my biological family. Uh, they were in Mississippi, and then when I moved up here to New England, they moved out to California. So we're like opposite ends of the country. And so part of it is that I just realized that I need family. And so family doesn't just include people that are my age. Um, and so over the years, God has really blessed me through you guys, through you, this congregation, um, to, to be able to interact with and engage with so many of you who I can view as you're like a father to me, you're like a grandparent to me, you're like an older brother to me or a younger sister to me, and uh, I'm so thankful for that. Um, but one of the people that I would point to is my friend Norman. Um, we've had the opportunity, and I, Norman, I think you're the same age as my dad, um, and I'm thankful for that. I think you guys would great, get along great, and I, I love the fact that for the last however many months, probably two or three months, we've been reading a book together, and we've been talking about discipleship and what that means for the Christian. It's not like discipleship for the younger Christian or discipleship for the older Christian. We've been challenging one another, I think. And, um, and the other example that I would say is um, Norm was a part of our community group uh, at our house this, uh, this past year, and uh, he was, I'm sure, felt super out of place coming in uh, as the only guy that was not pretty much college-aged or, or just out of college. And, um, and we loved Norman. We loved having him over. And he's said that so many times. He's felt loved. And uh, he, uh, I'm so thankful for that relationship. And then at the end of the school year, or at the end of the, the semester, Norman and Vicky had, us, had the, the rest of us, all of our community group, over to their home um, just to celebrate, just to have a meal together and swim in the pool and to love each other as family. And that was such a, that was so awesome. One other thing that I'll say is that um, I've seen so many of you, how you're strategically inviting people and putting these, these things together. And we were talking about this just a few days ago, how, um, how when, uh, when an older generation or, or uh, somebody who's a bit more seasoned is like trying to, str is struggling to get to know people that are younger, um, asking somebody who is younger, hey, can you help invite some people over and maybe make a movie night together? And some of you know, know, what, you're know what I'm talking about. You're in that. And I think that was such a cool uh, opportunity to, to bring in people who were cross-generational um, to get to know one another and spend time together and have fun together and realize we're all people. We're not, like, different, too different to spend time to together. Excuse me. Yeah, the thing that's so important for us here is that we, we, so many of us are acculturated that everything that happens church-wise happens in this building. And so in order to connect with people, in order to grow as a Christian, there has to be a program 
There has to be a Bible study we sign up for. There has to be an event that we hold. And, and, it's, and it's facilitated from the top, from leadership, and then you come to the building, and that's how ministry and family uh, grows. It's just not our way here at Mill City. Uh, one of the questions that we get so often is, I've been here for a little while. I just I want to get more involved. I want to grow deeper, but I just don't know how to do that. I'm, I'm going to tell you that what we've talked about today is going to be the thing that we push you towards. This is the way that you grow deeper in God's family, and especially here in our faith family, is, is growing through those hard things of choosing to invite people into your life and, and maybe even inviting yourself into other people's lives. And I know that sounds really hard, and it is, but... That's what we want to see here is we want to see you open up your home. We want to see you use your dining room table or your den or living room as a, as a ministry center. And, and we, we will help you with that. We will help talk you through that. Um, and there are some young leaders who are really good at this. There are some older leaders who are really good at this. And, and we really want to see this coming school year as a year where we really start putting some of this stuff better together. And so I hope today's been an encouragement to you. Perhaps you're even listening to this going, man, what does this mean? Any one of us would love to sit down with you over coffee or, or lunch or whatever and just talk about this further because it's so important to us. And, and I, there are so many in our faith family who do this well and who would, who would be a, a great encouragement to you. You look like you want to tell me one more thing. Just one, one more thing. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about this or like having a resource, something that you can read through that will help you think about this better, uh, one of the things that has so, it's been uh, huge for me, it's, uh, it's a book by someone named Rosaria Butterfield. Um, it's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And um, it is all about what it means to love people into your home.